of, of hell, of judgment that, that is yet to come. Uh, again, most of us being raised up in, uh, I, again, I, I'm just being realistic. Most of, the, most of y'all were raised either Baptist or Pentecostal, right? For the most part, we have, we have a few weirdos scattered throughout, but most, <laughs> most of y'all. Uh, no, in general, we, we, we either come from, you know, Baptist, Pentecostal, some what we would consider evangelical um, Christian background. And uh, in, in, in those, those genres, you only heard one view of, of the subject of hell. Um, it was hellfire and brimstone. It was, it was damnation for all uh, who die without Christ as if there were, you know, as if there were no, um, no justice whatsoever. That, that just, it was just a carte blanche, hell, hell, hell for you, um, heaven for you right? Well, the Bible is not that clear. I mean, I'm saying it's not that cut and dry in the Bible. The Bible is very clear, but the subject is not that cut and dry. Um, there is absolutely room for um, other views than what's commonly known as eternal conscious torment. So we've presented those three views, uh, the first one being uh, the traditional view, which is eternal conscious torment, meaning those who die without Christ go to a never-ending place of fire, uh, torment, a bottomless pit, um, outer darkness, and, uh, and, and, and it's not the specifics of that that, that, we're, that we're really discussing. Those things are all mentioned. Bottomless pit's mentioned in the Bible. Fire is mentioned in the Bible in reference to judgment. Uh, outer darkness is mentioned in reference to, outer dar- uh, to uh, judgment. The question is, how long does it last? Is it eternal? Does a person who dies without Jesus, uh, does that soul literally forever go on existing in in conscious pain and torment. So the traditional view says yes, those who die without Jesus forever go to the lake of fire, and we're going to delineate tonight um, some of the terminology in the New Testament, um, but, 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 but traditionally uh, what's taught is that those who die without Christ forever and ever, and of course we've heard big illustrations on what forever and ever is, and you know, trying to fathom that and all those things. And, and, and I mentioned before, um, one thing that, one, one burr that I admittedly have in my saddle on the subject is that it's been used as a fear tactic to get people to make a quick decision. And, and I'm ashamed to say I've done it. Uh, but I don't, I don't really believe that that's a good reason, you know, hang, hang somebody over fire and say, you know, do you want this or do you want streets of gold? Well, duh, right? I'll take streets of gold for 1,000, Alex. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, it's, not, it's not a good motivation to get people to, to make a snap decision. In fact, I don't think a person should make a snap decision for Christ. We, we should, be, we should you know, consciously receive Christ as Savior. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a little bit of a side subject. The other, the other view that we've discussed is what's commonly become known as conditional immortality. The basic concept of the conditional immortality viewpoint is that the human soul is not inherently immortal. So, so when we talk about eternal conscious torment, to believe in eternal conscious torment is to believe that inherently by nature the human soul goes on living. So with, without the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, uh, just by design, the human soul is eternal. So this is actually the major question that has to be answered when we study this subject. Ultimately, the subject matter that we're, that we're looking at is, is the human soul immortal? Does the human soul live forever? Um, and so there, there, the, we, we've covered that. But so the other, the other idea is eternal, con- or, or, or there's eternal conscious torment and then uh, conditional immortality. So conditional immortality believes in hell, believes in judgment, believes that sin will be justly judged and punished, but that it doesn't necessarily mean that that, that human soul who died without Jesus is forever going to live in a, 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 an inferno, a literal inferno of fire. So that's view number two that we've covered. And the view that we've given the least amount of attention to is what's known as, as universal reconciliation or universal redemption, which basically teaches, and again, I don't have time, I'm not going to take the time, we unpacked this uh, in the first, uh, first episode of this series, but um, uh, universal reconciliation, though that viewpoint believes that, that every person post-mortem uh, still has an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. Now, again, coming from our traditionalist background, that seems absolutely erroneous, doesn't it? Like, like 
inside me something just screams, no, that can't possibly be. However, I will say, in all fairness, there are some passages that they use to support that viewpoint that give some, somewhat a little bit of, at least a little credence, okay, a little bit of credence to that viewpoint, although I'm not persuaded that direction. Um, it, they're, I'm, not, I'm just saying they're not coming from, you know, from nowhere and just making stuff up. They do have some scripture to back it up, and I can see where they're coming from. I don't necessarily believe that way, but I can see what they mean. Um, so we've, tried to, we've been trying to cover this, and, and now what we're trying to do is find a place to land this, part, this plane. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm fully aware, the more we've dug into the, the topic, that uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's highly debatable. Okay, there are things within this subject matter uh, that, that, frankly, we could go on for a very long time uh, if we just want to volley back and forth, you know, well, this view says this, this view says that. Again, they all have, they all have a biblical premise. It's not like they've just, just completely dreamed this up. You know, they're saying that Joseph Smith received tablets, you know, golden, you know, this ain't like extra biblical revelation. All of this comes from the revelation of Scripture. It's just that we don't fully understand it all. And I am glad to admit that, okay? I'm okay with admitting I don't know everything. I know most things, but I'm okay with admitting I don't know everything. So tonight, what we, we want to try to do um, to the best of our ability, and so a couple things going on here. We're, we're trying to keep this in a more conversational format. Um, we, we've, this has been an adaptation for the three of us. We don't normally teach this way. Um, so it's been a little bit of a learning curve trying to figure out how to, how, to, how, to, how to teach in this format without talking over each other and without it feeling just super structured. Um, so, so we're endeavoring tonight. What I told the guys is that, you know, I'd like, I'd like for this to be kind of, I'd like for you to get to hear some of the conversations we have in private. We have a lot of conversations in my office or through Marco Polo, um, you know, just discussing different things. And so I, I want to try to bring that to the table tonight. But the, the question we're going to try to unpack and, and deal with is, what does the New Testament actually say about hell? So, so as we've said in the past, what you're going to have to do to open your mind to this subject um, is, is, is try to, to uh, detach the emotion that you, that you feel. Because again, we all get, we all get very, uh, in some ways, emotionally attached to, to our traditional beliefs. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also nothing wrong with re-examining. Um, I believe that, I, I believe if what, what you hold true can't withstand the scrutiny of honest questions, you need to rethink what you're holding to. Uh, we, we ought to be able to scrutinize our belief system and that, and that belief system withstand the pressure of the scrutiny, okay? And if you can't, if what you believe can't handle questions, then you need to rethink what you believe. Um, so we're going to try and, and look at what the New Testament says, because again, if, we're, if you just throw out the word hell, right, we've all got sermons that we've heard, um, I've heard some, some crazy ones, right, on the subject, um, you've probably heard some pretty, pretty wild um, evangelistic uh, sermons on hell, and what we've, what we've, what we've, one mistake that we've made is we look at results and go, well, I heard that guy preach on hell and 50 people got saved. Well, did they? Or did you just scare the hell out of them? I mean, in a very literal way, I think, I think we can get up and, and use certain terms and illustrations. And I mean, one preacher I, I personally know that's masterful at this, he would, he would take the worst stories you've ever heard, um, you know, talking about teenagers trapped in a, in a car, you know, in a car accident and the car catches fire and they're inside screaming, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. And, and he's using this to elicit results at the invitation. That is a terrible way to get people to make a decision for Jesus. And so we can't look at results and go, well, so-and-so preached it that way, and this is what happened, right? Um, because people get people to make decisions all the time that are, that are not wholesome and not healthy. And you um, never see that in the Bible. You don't see no. any preaching in the Bible that you see something. There's times where Paul used the word judgment, and he's using some judgment. To, to talk about the future judgment, but you don't see hell used as a scare tactic no. in order to coerce people into believing the gospel. It's just, it's just not there. I'm sorry. i got to fix something. Okay. And, I mean, under that... My OCD wouldn't allow speaking that. Speaking of that... Speaking of that, if you, if you used judgment to... And, and truly brought people to a place of repentance and faith is one thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that is possible. I mean, Paul said, you know, knowing the terror of the Lord. Hey, Brother Thurman, I just now saw y'all. Good to see you. Um, Try to be professional here, John. Yeah, I'm trying, but it's just, it's very difficult. Um, it'd be one thing to, to if, you, if, if, if you were truly, the emphasis, what I'm saying is the emphasis is never hell and hellfire and all those things. It's Christ, repentance and faith, re, uh, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I thought I could scare someone into a place where they truly, truly looked to Christ, trusted Christ, it'd be one thing. But just scaring them into a prayer or scaring them into a decision or scaring them in order to bring them down to, a, to, a, to the front of the church, and have, that's, that's hardly legitimate. <laughs> so and that's the point we're making. It's not that we should never mention hell and then we would preach or never mention judgment right. and never mention those things. It's that to just emphasize that more than you emphasize the Savior is just not legitimate. It's just not uh, the emphasis is off. So... That's essentially what we're saying there. And we've pointed this out before, but it bears repetition that you you don't find that in the book of Acts. You don't find the apostles going around preaching hellfire and damnation messages. Now, they did preach. They did preach accountability. They did preach against sin. They did did use the the law and the prophets, and uh, they used Scripture. You know, their sermons were were steeped in Scripture. But, but, you know, this idea of... uh, you know, illustrating this this judgment, this damnation, um, you just don't find. So, so again, to reiterate, the question is not, is there a hell? Okay, we're not asking, is there a hell? We're not questioning, is there a hell? The, the Bible very plainly teaches uh, the subject of hell. Um, the question is not, is is there a judgment? The Bible very plainly teaches that there is a judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. That tells us that there is judgment beyond this life. I personally believe, and again, this is a little bit of another you know, side issue, but I think you get judged in this world as well. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. But as far as God being the just judge of all mankind, the Bible clearly teaches that. The Bible plainly spells out the fact that there will be judgment. So I guess really what I'm, what, what I'm trying to say in, in plain terms, I'm very, I try to be very careful not to be misunderstood, but what I'm trying to say, and I'm trying to get you to see, is that there is so much about eternity that is a mystery to us. I mean, let's just, again, let's be very, very honest. There are many things about eternity that are a mystery to us. There are certain things that, that, that we can be certain of, um, but, but, but there, there are finer details that are still hidden behind the veil of mortality. We just don't, the Bible says that we look through a glass dimly. We, we view uh, beyond the veil of this world, but we don't fully comprehend. We can't fully uh, wrap our minds around what eternity looks like. For example, we don't understand a, a lot of things such as the nature of, of, a, of a, a human soul without a body. John touched on that a little bit last week in Luke chapter 16, but we don't know what a soul without a body looks like, do we? Let's not pretend we do. Um, you know, and so so there, there, there are questions, and, uh, and I think there are answers, but we're just trying to get into the fact that, that we may not have all the answers just yet, right? Uh, we do believe the Bible contains the answers, um, but when it comes to the subject of hell, there are things that, that we want to dive into concerning what the New Testament says. So one of those is, and we've pointed this out before, um, but the New Testament uses different words in the, in the original language. So we have, a, in our English Bible, uh, we derive our English translation of the Bible from, from the Greek. Um, and so when, when we see the word hell, again, in our English Bible, we always think of the exact same thing. When in reality, there are three Greek words. One of the three is only used one time, and we'll point that out in a minute. But there are actually three Greek words that are translated as hell in, uh, in most English translations, if you have a more modern translation, um, many times they'll take the word and actually just use Hades or Gehenna, uh, or they'll use, the, they'll, they'll use the interpretation or the translation of grave. Uh, but anyway, those three words are uh, uh, Hades, as I already mentioned. The other word is the word Gehenna in the Greek, and the other word is the one I can't remember. I want to say Tophet. Tartarus. Tartarus, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> Started with a T, but uh, anyway, Donnie, take just a second and uh, and unpack those definitions for us, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. So Hades 
is really just the Greek New Testament word for what we talked about, shale. If you remember, um, we talked a few weeks ago about the, that definition of shale, which just talks about beyond the grave. And so in the New Testament, we find that 11 times, and many times it's just talking about beyond the grave. In Acts 2.31, it says something along the lines of, and he did not uh, stay in shale. He did not stay in, in Hades, actually. And I was just talking about beyond the grave. The other one is Gehenna. And, and that is referring to a valley uh, outside of Jerusalem that was used to burn things. In fact, in the Old Testament, you see sometimes wicked kings would have their children walk through it. Um, and Matt, you could probably go into more detail about some of those things. But you see that over and over, like in the book of Kings, where it records, you know, this king did this, and he walked in the side of the Lord, and then you see other ones that, that was not walking in the ways of the Lord, and they were often mentioned as, as using that, that place for a place of sacrifice, even sacrifice of their children, which is kind of gross to think about. Um, but that, that was a valley in which they burned things, often animals and different things. I think, John, you spoke about that probably our first week, but if you wanted to elaborate a little bit about some of those things, about what we saw in in the, the, villi, the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. Yeah, the word uh, Gehenna, being a Greek word, uh, comes, fr- comes from the same root word as Hinnom, which is, uh, was mentioned several times in the Old Testament. At times it was called Tophet, some people call it Tophet, which was, uh, like, like uh, Donnie said, was a, a place of human sacrifice. Now, it had been that before Israel was ever there. Uh, that being the reason God told them to destroy everything to, to do with the ancient, the pagan religions because he said, I don't want you learning their ways. Well, they had done that in that, in, in that valley, uh, Tophet or um, Hinnom, the valley of the sons of Hinnom is what that means. Um, and so they got, they learned that from the Canaanite people. And what they would do is they, they would literally, they would heat this idol up and um, it had outstretched arms, and then they would have very loud music. They would have a lot of, lot of uh, evil, sexual sins and things like that. It, it was just a huge, basically a pagan, satanic celebration. And they would take their children, uh, uh, usually a, a very young child, up a set of steps or whatever, and lay this child in the arms of this idol that was heated white hot. And then the, the music was to drown out the screams of this child as it was burned to death. So obviously, God spoke of it several times. He said, I didn't command you to do this. He said, it never even came into my mind to do something like this. Mm-hmm. So it was a horrible place for more than one reason. Um, the ancient practices, of course, as we just described. And then later, God really used it as a valley of judgment probably because of what had happened there. And they, like we said, I think it may have been last week or the week before, when Jerusalem was besieged and going through being destroyed, in the process of being destroyed, the bodies were just piled in the streets, rotting and causing disease and all these things. As they were besieged, they couldn't get out of the city. So they were just taking these bodies and just throwing them over the wall. Now, that was, of course, AD 70, was 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 when Jerusalem was destroyed for that final time, um, but even even before then, in other times, uh, they had literally just filled this valley full of dead bodies, and so then they used it as a trash, more or less like a landfill, where they just threw trash out of the city, and because of obviously the smell, the you know the risk of disease, all those things, they they just set fires in it, and so. They would throw dead animals in there. They would throw dead criminals that weren't considered worthy of uh, being buried. And it would buried, be, buried is buried. Just so well, know that. why I said buried is because it's spelled B U R I E D. Not buried, as in throwing berries on someone. <laughs> so, by, by the way, part of my job up here is just to translate the Alabama to Missouri. And so from time to time, we... In know, other words, to, uh, to translate the proper way of saying it to, uh, you know, thank you, Ethan. I thank well, you back. Well, one of, the, on one of the things there, John, like, you know, just thinking through that, like when the hearers 
you know, the people would hear Jesus. They, Jesus would say things like in Matthew 5.29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. He used that word Gehenna. And so what they were hearing, if you, you know, I like when we read the Bible to, to put ourselves in those times and places and, you know, the culture and everything else. And when you're in that culture and you're hearing Jesus speak, he's speaking about a valley outside that, that John's explaining. So, if, you know, keep, keep going, but that's, that's well, what they're hearing. And if I could interrupt also. He's going to anyway. I would say, uh, you know, we, I, I, I have all these voices in my head, not like in a schizophrenic way, but things I've heard that stuck with me, you know, I've heard preachers say, well, if the Bible says hail, it means hail. Right? And that's in a deep South Alabama accent. Uh, but uh, it doesn't. Because when Jesus preached that, he didn't say hell. He used the word Gehenna. So when he said, you know, if you're, it, it, it's better to go through life maimed than to, you know, go to Gehenna with a whole body. They, they literally, as Donnie said, they, that he used the word Gehenna. In another, when he used the word Hades, he used the word Hades. And it, and it carried a different connotation and meaning to them. So it's not... I would love to take more of a simpleton position on the subject where oh, if it says hail, it means hail. But, you know, what do you do with other passages where it's clearly not referring to the traditional teaching on hell? So that I just right. felt like I'd throw that in. Very good point, though. Um, and so, so when they throw these corpses and this trash and all these things, they would even throw sulfur uh, into, into this valley and to somewhat um, help eradicate some of the disease and things like that. So when people heard, as Donnie said, when people heard the word Gehenna, they weren't necessarily thinking of some place that they go after they die necessarily. He was using it as a, as a very strong picture because when they think of it, everyone who lived in Jerusalem or in the area of Jerusalem knew that place is terrible. It's got maggots crawling everywhere, eating dead flesh. It has dead animals, dead bodies, trash. There's fire always there that, that is never quenched. It's just always burning day and night. It's got, you know, you, you smell sulfur when you get anywhere close. I mean, it's just, it was a terrible place. It's not where you'd want to hang out. So when Jesus said Gehenna, people knew exactly what he was referring to. We don't because we don't live there. And we're 2,000 years later and thousands upon thousands of miles away. We, we have everything that we heard when we, when from the time we were kids. We've grown up thinking a particular thing. And as Matt said, you hear a lot of oversimplification of some of this stuff. And it, it really, honestly, it reminds me of Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so sometimes it becomes so important for someone, instead of digging in and studying, it's just easy to oversimplify everything and then beat you about the head and shoulders if you don't fall right in line. So there has to be, we have to study this stuff out. And as Matt said, you know, we're not, we're not pushing for a particular view right now, but we're, we're, um, we're just trying to get you a clear presentation of, of some of these views. And, and not to go down the rabbit trail that I'm about to bring up, but because it, it could be. But we've, we've watched a debate where it was a debate over Bible versions. And the gentleman who was taking the position that he, he believed that one version was uh, more superior than the other was literally using the fact that he liked that it said hell because when he was going evangelizing, he could use it. I mean, he came down to it. He was using it as a scare tactic. And so... He was, you know, we've seen that kind of stuff, and so it's, but it, it's the misuse of that word in that context. It's just, that's just dumb logic. Yeah. So, um, so then the word, then we said there's another word, which, which is the word Hades, um, which, which brings with it a, a different sort of connotation, and Donnie mentioned a minute ago that um, the word Hades is the Greek equivalent to the, the Hebrew word Sheol that we already, or Sheol, however you pronounce it. Um, I don't think I ever pronounce any Hebrew or Greek word properly, but I try. Um, to pronounce Greek properly, you've got to have a lot of phlegm in your throat, but whatever. Um, but so, so when we see the word Hades, that's the New Testament equivalent to what we studied. Remember, we studied the Old Testament and discovered 
that essentially the Old Testament usage of the word Sheol uh, is a general, it's a very generic uh, word that, 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 is, that, that bears the idea of the place of the departed. Sometimes it's used in the context of, of simply being the grave. Um, sometimes it's used in the context of, 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 of a believer, such as David, uh, Samuel, uh, other Old Testament, what we understand to be Old Testament saints, those who had put their, their faith in the Lord, Abraham, uh, Jacob. There, there are references to Sheol about, you know, concerning God's people going there. And then there are references to, the, to, the, to the, what we just, uh, for sake of understanding, call the wicked dead, those who die without Christ. They're, it's a generic reference. And so it's the same is true of the Greek word Hades um, or Hadas is how we actually pronounce that as a Bible scholar. That's how I pronounce that. I just made that up. But um, anyway, uh, so you'll find 11 references in the New Testament uh, where the word Hades is used. Um, one of those, and this is just to, uh, this is just to articulate to you um, how, uh, how versatile the word's uh, usage is uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 27 uh, when Simon Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, um, in reference to, to Jesus, and he's actually quoting from the book of Psalms, but, but P- Simon Peter was using it um, to, to articulate the resurrection of Christ. Um, he says in Acts 2.27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Uh, that's the, again, that's the Greek word Hades. Uh, Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Um, so, so we understand very clearly, and I know some people try to teach that, well, Jesus went to hell for three days. That is stupid, and you have no biblical foundation for that, okay? You are, you're reading way too much into a word that really probably shouldn't be used in the context, uh, that they try to use it in. Um, but, but we see places like that. Uh, Luke chapter 16, when the passage John covered last week, that's the Greek word, Hades, uh, in hell, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, uh, it says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, uh, where is your victory? Uh, the word grave is the Greek word Hades, so there we find it as a, just a generic reference um, to, the, to the grave. Um, and so again, you'll, you'll find several places that the word Hades is used in a pretty versatile fashion. Okay, so once more, just, just clarifying that, that just because we see the word hell, it doesn't mean what we've always thought about the word hell. Um, and, and as John, again, in Luke 16 discussed last week, uh, didn't, could have, we really could have spent several weeks on, on Luke 16, but I wanted to just, you know, put that burden on John. Um, but, uh, you know, they were obviously, the, you know, anyway... So there is a place where those who die go to. Um, it's just the question of, of duration and quality and what that all looks well, like. Like you read Acts 2.27 out of King James that says hell, but like a lot of newer versions, just like they did in the Old Testament and just left the word shale, they just leave, they just leave it Hades instead of trying mm-hmm. to, or sometimes grave or pit or something of that nature, but it's, it's Hades in, in most any other version. Well, I just read from the King James the way Jesus wrote it. Amen. Actually, have this beautiful Schuyler Quintel New Living translation that I just got in the mail yesterday, uh, and it says, uh, "For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your holy one to rot in the grave," which is a very accurate translation of the of the Greek. I mean, being a Greek scholar and whatnot. So, yeah, I think I mean I think that's good, don't you? Covering just, I mean, I don't want to spend four hours on definitions, but it's just important to understand. Um, oh, and cover the other word that I can never remember. It starts with a T. Tart- oh, Tartarus. Uh, Tartarus. Second uh, Peter two uh, four. It's the only place this uh, this word is is used. Um, I'll go ahead and read it to you. Second Peter two verse four says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now, once again, we, now we see a couple of things here. Um, in the book of uh, Jude, it also re- records this same, basically, all, not word for word, but 
with the uh, same thoughts. And, uh, and this word hell here is, is Tartarus. Now, we mentioned last week um, in Luke, Luke 16, and we, and we mentioned that I don't, put, I, I don't put any source on equal plane with Scripture. That if Scripture says it, then... But that doesn't mean that, that Scripture contains the only thing that's true. It's just you can count on Scripture being true, whereas something else, you have to leave a little bit of that question there. And some of, some of that got clearer to me as far as at least what the, Jew, the Jewish mind understood. Hades and, the, and the, the underworld, for lack of a better term, uh, to be. Tartarus being the compartment, more or less, for lack of a better term, uh, where these particular angels are being held until judgment. Now, it, it mentions eternal chains. I believe, I don't believe it's this reference. I, I believe it's uh, Jude. And it mentions eternal chains until judgment. Once again, we see that word eternal. Now, is it eternal or is it, or is it till judgment? It, you know, it, the way we think of eternal, we think it has to be, it, that has to mean that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Whereas it's, it's meant as, as, a, as a term of finality. But... They're kept there until judgment. They'll be, they'll be brought up. And I take it that we, as Paul said, we will judge angels. I, want, I don't want to get into the study of angels because I've been studying that. And I, every time I get into anything, somehow I find my way back there and start talking about angels and all this. But, uh, but this particular reference is referring to the Greek word Tartarus, which is a particular compartment of... I, I, what I believe to be a compartment of Hades, Hades being the broader term, and it's where the these uh, these angels that disobeyed God, rebelled against God, where they're being uh, kept. So, if you were just to get a, a concordance and and look up the word hell, um, you would find the word hell twenty three times in the New Testament, and as we've pointed out, um, eleven of those times it's Hades, twelve of those times it's Gehenna. Um, and then one time it's whatever, tartar sauce. Um, but that's really not, that, that's not sufficient. Um, just looking up the word hell or looking up the times that the word hell's used, um, that's, that's actually not a sufficient, you're not doing yourself justice in studying what the Bible says in the New Testament about judgment. Um, because you'll find other references to judgment where the word hell isn't used and other descript, descriptive terms are used. John covered uh, in one of our in one of our, what was that? Did you hear that? In one of our sessions, um, the nature of fire in the Bible, if you all remember that. And again, we were trying to stay very focused on the Old Testament at first. Um, but if you, look at, if you look at the descriptions Jesus gives of fiery judgment in the New Testament, again, we're not exactly trying to push you toward one particular view at this time, but you know, opening, opening yourself up to really look at what the New Testament says. When, when Jesus talks about fiery judgment, for example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, he, talks, he, he, he uses it in, 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 and he gives the example of a tree being cut down and burned. Um, and in fact, you'll find that several times. Also, Matthew chapter 7, verse 19, Luke chapter 3, verse 9. So in, in certain places, when Jesus is talking about fiery judgment, uh, the judgment by fire, um, he, he talks about a, 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 an object that is a consumable. It, it will be burned up. It will be consumed. Um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, he, he talks about, uh, uh, this is John the Baptist, but John talks about the, the chaff being burned with unquenchable fire. So, so, the, so, so chaff is the part that gets separated from the wheat uh, in the winnowing process, and it's useless. It's just, it's just, like, it's just like dust, and he says that the chaff, will be burned up, that it will go into unquenchable fire and, and be consumed. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 40, um, talks about uh, the tares. So Jesus taught the terrible, or gave the parable, the terrible of the pears among the, anyway, uh, the parable of the tares among the wheat, tares uh, being a representative of, of people who, who pretend to be Christian, who sort of creep in and say all the Christianese things, but they've never genuinely been, been converted. He said, hey, that's not up, for, up to you to judge. He says, wait until the final day, and God, who knows everybody's heart, will separate the tares from the wheat. And he says of the tares, 
um, that they would be burned in fire. So he again gives this illustration of something being thrown into a fire and burned up. John 15 verse 6, I'm just giving you a few examples. John 15 verse 6 talks about a branch uh, being withered and burned in reference to judgment. So my point being, in, in these examples given when we look at fiery judgment, it's Jesus used consumable products, consumable things um, that, that, could be, that, would, that would burn up. Um, also, words that you find in, in relation to, to the final judgment of, of the wicked dead, those who die without Jesus, um, the word death is used, uh, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Revelation, as we the, really was the catapult text that we used at the beginning of this this series, um, it talks about the great white throne judgment. Uh, it says that death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. So one of the paramount terms you find used in reference to the final punishment of those who die without Jesus is death. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. Uh, second death, uh, you find the word perish used very frequently. Uh, words like destroy. Um, perdition, things that give reference to destruction, uh, something being destroyed, being annihilated. Um, and so, again, it's just, it's important, number one, that you understand that it's not sufficient just to do a concordant study on hell, uh, because, again, you're going to find you need to be able to delineate the terms, which is fine. If you have a concordance, you'll find which, you know, which Greek word it is, and I've got them right in front of me, and I don't mind printing them off and giving you a copy. Um, of which, which verses are re referring to Hades and which are referring to Gehenna. Um, but again, we understand there will be judgment. It's just, it's just how will God judge, right? Um, and what, does, what, is the, what, what is the duration of the judgment? And I can tell you this. I'm, I don't mind at the end of this um, telling you which direction I lean. I lean very heavily in one particular direction when it comes to this, this subject. I don't mind telling you that, um, but, but here's what I will tell you right now. I'm not going to tell you right now which way I lean because I want to get through this first, but I will tell you this right now, regardless of the two that were really taken seriously, which is eternal conscious torment and uh, the, uh, the uh, what's the other one? Forgot the terminology. Conditional immortality. Uh, when we look at those two, regardless of where you land, I will tell you that, that without a doubt, I believe the Bible teaches clearly that there are different levels of judgment, that it's not just one carte blanche, you know, judgment for all. I believe God's going to judge every single human soul, um, and that he will, he will judge accordingly, right? And again, we've pointed this out, but it bears repetition. You see that concept in the law. When God gave the law, there were, if, if your ox gored a man, you know, for, this is just one specific law in the Old Testament, if your ox gored a man, there was a certain penalty for that. Um, if, if a person stole something, there was a different penalty for, for thievery. Um, if a person bore false witness, there was a different punishment for that. So I personally firmly believe that, that God will judge justly all those who die without Christ. Here's just, just universal truths we know about God. God hates sin. Sin is the antithesis of who he is. God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. God hates evil. And, and evil is the product of, of the devil, of Lucifer, and it's, it's, it's darkness, and it's destructive, and it's, it's why there's disease, and it's why there's pain, it's why there's heartache, it's why there's death. God hates that. Uh, and God will punish sin, and God will judge evil, and evil will be judged justly. And so uh, in just a moment, I'm going to let these guys say anything that they want to say, but with the time ticking down, I have a couple passages in reference to that that I want to read to you. Unless you've got something to say. Nothing? Really? You look like you had something on your mind in my peripheral. But you, Dr. D.L.? You're good. All right. So I'm going to read to you. If you want to read with me, I'm going to 2 Peter chapter 3. I am going to read from the New Living Translation because, as I stated before, I have a new Bible, and I'm a child. If I get something new, I'm going to use it. Okay? Well, I don't know. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read several verses here, but um, I, I want you to see uh, really the vision that God gives to us of, of eternity, of, of, of the, the final destiny, the ultimate destiny of all things. So notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you haven't found it, I'm going to read it to you very carefully, and you can listen carefully. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, 
He says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, by the way, if you're reading along with a New King James or ESV or King James, you're going to struggle. I'm just telling you right now, you might just, you might just try to listen. Uh, verse 3, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So he's referring to Noah's time. And by the same word in verse 7, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, so the anticipation for those who have put their faith in Christ, those who have been born again, and you, you are fully aware, and this is not a conversation on this, but righteous means that we are made right in, in the eyes of God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. There's none righteous, no, not one. Um, if you don't know that, you need to stick around for our study of Romans that's coming up, spoiler alert. Um, but, but we understand that, that, that we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. Our righteousness is... is, is uh, attained through our faith in Jesus Christ. So when he's, he's, he's differentiating between the righteous and the wicked, we're, we're only righteous because of Jesus. But the anticipation is that one day, God is going to, just as he, as he flooded the earth in Noah's day with water, he's going to, he's going to it uses the term melt the earth and the heavens with fervent heat, that he's going to burn it, he's going to baptize it in fire and eradicate all filth, all death, all, all pain, all persecution. So the anticipation of the heart of the believer is that one day this nonsense is going to be over, right? All the war, the strife, the, the pain will end someday. And so that's what, and, and again, you talk about context, that is the exact context that we're talking about, the final end. What is the final end? We don't understand everything, but we do know there is coming a day when, when God is, is going to purify both the heavens and the earth, and he even goes in so, far, in so much as to say the elements will melt with fervent heat. Okay, this time I guess I do have something to say. As he's talking about judgment, um, for one, obviously it's Bible truth. Two, it's, it's to, for you to understand that, we're, that by no means is there any downplaying of God's judgment. Mm. No matter which of those three views, and I'm, like Matt, and then it really comes down to two of them for me. But um, the fact is, God will judge, as we talked earlier, there are certainties. There are things that we know that God will judge sin, completely judge sin, in every sin, even the, even, the, even the smallest of sins. Jesus said every idle word that men speak will be judged. They'll answer for it. So as, as people, as humans... We would do well to find out what God says mm-hmm. about, about judgment, about hell as, as a generic term, and as sin. I mean, nowadays in the society we live in, people think, well, that's not sin because everybody's doing it. Or that doesn't matter because that didn't hurt anybody. You do well to find out what God says is sin. 
because God's view of sin, believe me, is much, much higher than our views. We, we tend to judge sin and think of sin in terms of who's doing it and who's our buddy in it and who's, who's you know, how many people have done it and how, how heinous is it. And Jesus said even, even idle words. Somebody, somebody says something flippant about God. You think that's forgotten? Do you think God's going to just say, ah, oh, that's fine. I mean, everybody else is doing it down there too. So, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. So we're not downplaying God's judgment. It's, it's a real thing, and it's an, an extremely important thing for you to understand that judgment is coming. There will come a judgment day. And, and, when, and when it does come, God's not concerned with what you, he, you can't talk him into your view. I mean, God's the only one that matters at that point. So just, just so you understand, that's, that's not at all, there's none of that going on as far as downplaying. It's, uh, it's an extremely important topic. And that's a perfect segue into my next passage, which is Revelation chapter 21, if you want to look at it. Again, if you were trying to read along with anything other than the NLT, it's hard to, it's hard to follow uh, with other translations. So I sort of apologize, but I, I love my favorite Bible to read from is the NLT. I preach from the New King James for all you, you know, former King Jamesers. Sorry, King Jimmy. I don't want to be disrespectful. Uh, but uh, go to Revelation chapter 21 if you want to turn there. Again, if not, I'll, I'll read it very carefully. No. Um, Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. I'm sorry, verse number 1 through 8. Um, so again, I'm trying to show you what the anticipation of the, the saved, you know, those who put their faith in Christ is. And here's, once more, if we're talking about final things, it doesn't, it doesn't get any more final than the events unfolding in Revelation chapter 21. Um, so this is after the, the white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, which once more that's where we began. That was at least my, my launch pad text uh, for this study. Uh, but so, so look at what happens in chapter 21. He says in verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... Their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so the end of all things, as we, as we understand it, is that one day God will, will purge, purify uh, both the heavens and the earth, um, that there is a final punishment, there is a final end for those who die without Christ. Sin will be punished. Uh, if you want to see how sin is punished, look to the cross, look to Calvary, because Isaiah explained to us in chapter 53 of his prophecy that, that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our punishment. If you want to see how God feels about sin, Look to Jesus on the cross. It's a horrific scene where Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin, died a physical death, was buried in a grave for three days and three nights and resurrected to conquer death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. And so we see that the final end of those who put their faith in him is eternal happiness, eternal bliss, eternal peace, uh, eternal heaven in the presence of God. We see that the eternal fate of those who die without Jesus is exactly the opposite. We get eternal life. 
they receive a death that is final. It's called the second death. It's the death of the soul. It's what Jesus talked about when he said, don't fear those who kill the body. He said, rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Destroy. So, if you're wondering where I, where I lean on the subject, I lean toward conditional immortality. I lean toward the notion that, that God gives the gift of eternal life to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. I wouldn't argue if you believe in eternal conscious torment. There's a lot of scripture that, that tends to be interpreted that way. Um, and I understand it. But, but please, if, if you do want to discuss it with me, let's not, let's not pretend like it's a cut and dry subject. Right? It's definitely debatable. Um, and so I lean that way. John doesn't even believe in hell. Donnie doesn't believe in anything. So don't ask them. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just a youth pastor. Yeah, he's a youth pastor. They don't have to know anything. Um, it's pizza and games. Yeah. But in truth, we all, again, I've been, I've been studying on this for, you know, well over, how long have you been studying it, John? Um, two months longer than him. <laughs> <laughs> he always tries to Tommy top. I've been studying it for, for solid over two years, um, and, uh, and it was, you know, it was just one of those things that I, as I, as I read what the Bible said about it, I thought, man, I don't know that's it, that it's as clear cut as I was taught, and so I just went on a, just went on a journey and uh, didn't actually know these other views existed. I wasn't allowed to believe anything but the traditional view. Um, I say that in the sense that it was, it was taught and preached so dogmatically that you were a fool and you were a heretic and you didn't believe the Bible if you preached anything else or believed anything else. And that's just simply not the case. We know there's a judgment. We know there's a hell. There's, not a que- there's no question about that. The question is, does God give eternal life to those who die without Jesus? Because that's essentially what would have to happen. Um, God would have to give eternal life uh, for the sole purpose of someone being burned, punished, forever, without end. I don't think hell's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be pleasant. I think it's horrible. It's awful. Uh, again, if you look at the terminology that's used, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a detestable place that is, is so awful. Now, it's not the sole purpose why Jesus died for us, but it's so awful Jesus took our punishment. He took our sin on himself to deliver us from so great a death. Um, but anyway, but again, I wouldn't fight over that, and I'm not, and I'm not 100% there. It's, it's either that or it's, or it's eternal conscious torment. But there is a judgment. And, uh, and we can say without a doubt that the devil and his angels, the Bible clearly teaches that, especially there in Revelation 20, uh, that the beast and the false prophet will, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's very clear. Um, but anyway... That's another study of angels. But angels by nature are different than humans by nature. So, you guys have anything to say in conclusion? Nothing? Shh. Any questions real quick? I mean quick. Not super quick, but yeah, Ryan. Nice haircut, by the way, bro. Yep, like it. Right. Well, and that's what I was trying to say before. So uh, for those listening in our podcast, Ryan said, uh, essentially, is it, is it possible that hell is just a, it's a supernatural thing that's beyond basically our, our human comprehending, right? Um, you, you look like you got something to say about that. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I'm personally of the belief that, that God is some possibly somewhat deliberately vague. <laughs> There's only so much we can handle anyway. You know, I do believe if Scripture talks about it, we have the answers, you know, in, in general. But, but yeah, I, I do, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, I think there is a certain supernatural. We talked about that a little bit last week as far as the, talk about the rich man in Luke 16 and how, you know, how, how can you, uh, this isn't exactly what you're talking about. But he he talked about his tongue, cool my tongue, and all that stuff. You know, it's like how does there's some overlap, you know, but exactly how that works, (laughs) 
you know, it's it's an excellent question, and I I I would agree with you. Well, and that we we kind of had that discussion at one point as as we were conversing about it, preparing for this. You know, John at some point said, "Man, it'd be nice if God just kind of like in black and white stated what it what it what it means and what it is." And um, I think I then brilliantly responded. I feel like something brilliant was said brilliant. by me. Brilliant. No, but I. As we talked about it, it was kind of like the conclusion was, you know, it's not cut and dry because what we're essentially talking about is the judgment of every single human being that's ever lived. If you look at, if you look at Revelation chapter 20, everyone who dies, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man. You know, the Bible says that every man will give an account of himself before God. So it is, it's, it's, it's as complicated as, 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 as many, the, the, whatever number of human beings ha, has lived on the face of the earth throughout the duration of time. So it can't be that, that simple, right? It can't be I mean, that it even, And it even refers to death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. They're not even, you know, walking around. It's not like they're people. So, yeah. so it's, it, there is a very strong supernatural element that you know and now granted I, I understand revelation is very figurative it's very apocalyptic it's very it's a different it's a whole different type of book than most books in the bible but i mean it refers to even inanimate principles or uh, what's the word i'm looking for death and hades it's uh, a personification personification of these things see that's brilliant mm. thank you but uh you got to give the devil his due you know but uh, anyway, that's uh, so. It's not exactly. It isn't a cut and dried thing, and it is cute. very supernatural. That was cute, yes. for real. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not a cut and dry subject. Um, again, if you're going to dig into this study, the primary things keep in mind: study the nature of the human soul. Um, once you overcome that, once you get, once you sort of start to see what the Bible actually says about the uh, the the finite nature of the, you know, of the human soul, uh, that's, that's eye-opening. It was for me at least. And then, um, you know, it, it, it never question whether there's a judgment. That, that is a black and white subject. It's the duration. Um, I believe the judgment, I believe God's judgment will be perfectly just. He's going to judge, I mean, he's not going to dole out one, one bit of punishment that's undeserved. And, and he's, and he, and he's not going to, come and not fall short either um and again if and we could talk about this for a long time but we think about well god judging and all you know i think god's love no but god's also perfectly just and and the truth is we want god to judge evil he wouldn't be a good judge he wouldn't be a just judge if he did not deal with evil you think about the horrific things that happen in, in humanity and i'm not even i could name things that would make all of us sick to our stomach we want god to judge that the problem is we don't want God to judge our sin. Um, and, again, if you look at the law, not all sin is equal. There were different judgments. Again, fight me on that. There were different judgments for different crimes. Um, you would, there, some things merited the death penalty under Old Testament law. Some things merited restitution. Um, so, anyway, those things, those are important when you, when you study the subject itself. But there is judgment. There is there is. There is punishment for sin, and the best option is for you to receive the punishment that was placed on Jesus Christ and, and trust him as your Lord and Savior. Um, and so that's, you know, he ultimately paid the price and took our, took our place of judgment. So um, any other questions that we could answer in a, you know, couple minutes? Yes, sir. Truth is, if you're not saved, you are under the law. If a person is not saved, they are under the law. There are only two options. You receive the justification that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, or you answer for your own sin according to, the, to God's perfect law. And again, that's in the book of Romans that I'll probably be teaching through before too long. When I get bored with this topical stuff on Sunday, we're going to dive into Romans. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, yeah, and, and Paul clearly teaches that, Jew and Gentile alike. Under the law. Yep. Yes, ma'am.
Yeah, and and the. And the important thing that John drew out of Luke 16 last week, or one of the important things that he drew out, is first of all, Luke, Luke chapter 16 is not a picture of the final judgment. It was before Christ died on the cross. There were a lot of things happen, that happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose again that, that shifted the paradigm um, forever. And so, uh, that, again, that would be difficult to get into. Uh, I've got a really cool chart I could show you about, about that, but... Um, but Luke 16 is not a picture of, fi- of the final judgment. It's, it's the word Hades. It's, it's, again, that generic term of, of the place where people go when they die, uh, but it was more of, a, more of an intermediate time period uh, that Jesus referenced, if, if you wanted to dive into the specifics of Luke 16 itself anyhow. 